Welcome to Let's Review RN. My name is Bryn O'Donnell, and I'm a certified adult and geriatric nurse practitioner. I work as a cardiology APN and function as a visiting professor and clinical instructor for a BSN program. This is an independent production by myself, and I am not representing any educational institution. My goal is to deliver a condensed but robust review on topics primarily discussed in Adult Health 1 and 2 and some pieces of pharmacology of a bachelor degree nursing program. Over the years, I've learned that students have an immense amount of confusion and questions when they leave didactic, which makes applying what they are learning nearly impossible to the clinical setting. I want to break down the basics so that you can continue to build upon your knowledge and put the pieces together. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Let's Review RN. We have spent the last few episodes talking about the anatomy of the kidney, as well as reviewing filtration, reabsorption, and secretion, which occurs in the structures of the nephron. Each kidney contains around 1 million individual nephrons. This is the functional portion of the kidney that allows it to filter, reabsorb, and secrete. Today, we're going to start talking about loop diuretics. The drug class loop diuretics tells us a lot just by looking at the name. Diuretic means that we will influence and increase urine output by altering sodium reabsorption in the nephron. Loop tells us this class of medication acts in the loop of Henle, specifically the ascending loop of Henle, which, remember, still is largely in the medulla portion of the kidney. When talking about specific pharmacological agents or drug classes, we want to focus on five key points, those being the name, what the medication is used for, side effects the patient may experience, education for the patients, and responsibility of the nurse when caring for patients on these medications. It can be easy to recognize loop diuretics by their suffix. This class of medication usually, I say usually because there's always an exception to the rule, but loop diuretics usually end in mide or nide at the end of the name, such as bumetanide, furosemide, or torsemide. Those are some of the most popular ones or commonly used ones. Now, when we look at loop of the, or when we look at the loop of Henley, we have to remember that under normal circumstances, filtrate enters the descending loop of Henley first, which is deep into the hypertonic portion of the kidney called the medulla. The descending loop of Henley is permeable to water, but not to ions, which means that water is going to diffuse out of the filtrate within the descending loop of Henley to the hypertonic medulla. Then the filtrate does a quick 180 or hairpin turn to go back up the ascending loop of Henley, where this portion is permeable to ions more so than water. Loop diuretics work in the thick ascending limb of the loop of Henle, where sodium chloride reabsorption is typically mediated by sodium-potassium chloride co-transport system, which is present in the luminal membrane. Loop diuretics, such as the ones that I mentioned before, bind reversibly to this carrier protein, which reduces sodium chloride reabsorption, resulting in more sodium and and other ions such as potassium remaining in the filtrate, which will become the urine. So now, if you remember, where sodium goes, water will follow. And what that means in this situation is that we have less ions in the medulla surrounding the descending loop of Henle, 
and water does not want to diffuse out because the concentration gradient has changed so that osmotic pressure keeps water in the loop of Henle where the filtrate ion concentration is higher, thus increasing the amount of sodium, potassium, and water that is excreted via the urine. Powerful loop diuretics can prevent reabsorption of about 20% of sodium and 15% of water, which results in a significant increase in water excretion via the urine. Oral loop diuretics start working within one hour, and IV-administered loop diuretics start working within five minutes of administration. The effects of loop diuretics last approximately four to six hours, and it is advised to give them earlier in the day to prevent significant nighttime urination. Excessive urination during the night will affect the patient's sleep and also increase their risk of falls and injury. So now that we know how the medication achieves diuresis, you might be wondering what indications are loop diuretics used for or what type of patient is appropriate for this therapy. Loop diuretics help us eliminate excess fluid that the body is holding onto. So those patients that are appropriate for diuretic therapy would be patients who are fluid overloaded from heart failure, pulmonary edema, liver failure, who develop ascites, which is fluid buildup in the peritoneal space. It can also help correct hypercalcemia due to a shift in ion permeability in the ascending loop of Henle, which does not only affect potassium, sodium, and chloride, but also magnesium and calcium is held within the filtrate and excreted when the ion exchange is diminished. Loop diuretics can then lower calcium levels, so it is helpful for those patients who have hypercalcemia. Loop diuretics can lower a patient's blood pressure by reducing intravascular volume, but they are not first-line medications for hypertension management. Adverse reactions and the role of the nurse can easily be combined because we are on the lookout for adverse reactions through our responsibilities of monitoring these patients. We need to be sure that we are monitoring for hypokalemia due to excessive excretion of potassium levels within the urine. So this means checking labs and identifying if the potassium level is out of normal range, which if you remember is 3.5 to 5.2. If hypokalemia is noted, it's important to contact the healthcare provider to receive orders in order to replace the potassium. An important teaching point for the patient is to make sure that they are eating foods that are rich in potassium. Although oral intake cannot replace all the potassium that is excreted with loop diuretics, it can be helpful, though, to prevent extremely low levels of potassium, which can place the patient at risk for arrhythmias, muscle cramps and weakness, myalgias, tremors, or even constipation from decreased smooth muscle movement. Hypotension or low blood pressure, again, is important to monitor for, which can also cause lightheadedness and dizziness due to decreased blood volumes from excretion of that excessive water. We need to educate our patients that they are at risk for lightheadedness and dizziness, and they should change positions slowly and with caution. Patients may also require assistance when changing positions to reduce fall risk. Acute kidney injury can occur from prolonged high levels of loop diuretic by placing high levels of stress on the kidneys. 
Also, when there are high volumes of urine to excrete and the bladder cannot keep up, urinary retention is a risk factor. Loop diuretics have been shown to worsen gout, cause ototoxicity, especially with IV administration, which this is specifically damage to the hearing. And it can also worsen diabetic control by causing hyperglycemia. To help reduce the risk of autotoxicity, we want to make sure we are pushing loop diuretics slowly through the IV when administering them intravenously. We want to be cautious of utilizing loop diuretics in patients who have hepatic encephalopathy, known hypokalemia, dehydration, or hypovolemia. Uh, We also want to be cautious in those patients who have hyponatremia, meaning low sodium levels, and patients on lithium therapy as it can increase lithium levels in the body. Management of this patient includes monitoring their vital signs to verify they are not hypotensive or become tachycardic, which can happen with excessive volume depletion. We want to weigh our patients daily or educate them to weigh themselves daily to monitor if they are losing water weight and how much. We also like to monitor strict input and output for these patients, meaning we do not want them consuming excessive amounts of fluid, which will counteract the diuretic, although they do still need to have 48 to 64 ounces of fluid to hydrate their cells. That is an important teaching point because often patients think they should avoid drinking anything while on diuretics. We also want to continue to monitor labs such as potassium, magnesium, sodium, calcium. We also want to monitor renal function with the BUN and the serum creatinine. And I have to stress this a lot, but you need to check the labs, not only to have an initial kind of baseline when we first introduce loop diuretics, but also as follow-up and with any dose adjustments. Labs should always be checked on these patients. If the patient is presenting with signs and symptoms of gout, we may draw a uric acid level as well. All of these results will help us better understand what the right balance of diuretic is for the patient while also taking into consideration the patient's symptoms and clinical assessment. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. And remember, you can always find me on Instagram at Let's Review RN, as well as Facebook at Let's Review RN. And next week, I'll be back with Thiazide Diuretics. This podcast is for general information review purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or nursing. The use of this information or any materials provided by Let's Review RN are at the user's own risk. This content is not intended to be a substitute for educational teachings through students' educational institutes or organizations.